You're listening to Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ 89.5 FM. I'm Dee Clark, and this is Cortez Currents, which you can also access in text form at cortezcurrents.ca. And today we bring you part two of a five-part series, a conversation about the Cortez Death Care Collective, a volunteer association dedicated to bringing death and funeral arrangements back into our own hands. I interview Margaret Frischer with an occasional comment from Emma Tius on what kind of work the collective does and what it can offer to Cortez residents. The Death Care Collective essentially has no fees. It's strictly volunteer. It's community service. It is strictly volunteer, and we are not allowed to charge for our services. We are not licensed funeral directors. Only licensed funeral directors are allowed to charge for services. Are you a BC nonprofit? We are not a BC nonprofit, but we are under the umbrella of the Cortez Island Senior Society. We did have a substantial donation to support the natural burial projects on Cortez. So we needed to find an organization that would be our treasure, so to speak. So they've agreed, and, and any money that we receive is, is funneled through the Cortez Island Senior Society. I assume that your relationship with the cemeteries is with the relevant community clubs, like Welltown Community Club runs yeah. the Welltown Cemetery, and I think SCCA yes. runs the man. So you have like a a working relationship with both of those community organizations? So we worked with the SECA in that we said, we really want to bring natural burials to the community. We are willing to do the work involved. So they were they were very gracious and, and grateful. And they're the ones that did the paperwork and, and the necessary steps to, to bring natural burial there. And, and Whale Town... The community club is in charge of the Whale Town Cemetery, and they too were eager to have a natural burial section in the Whale Town Cemetery. And there have been two natural burials in the Whale Town Cemetery to date. So you, as, as, a, as a community project, you essentially have no costs. Money is not really a yeah. part of this picture, which is actually really great, because that's one of the things that's so toxic about the, yeah. the funeral industry is money and commerce really inappropriately coming into this yeah it's certainly a a service so it's a service we provide having said that I mean a family did provide some money and it was used on materials and Rick Bachner generously built a transport box for the Cortez Death Caring Collective so now we have this beautiful box that can go in the back of a truck and it can transport bodies in a way that's legal and safe and, and dignified. And these are things that that we know that that when a body is transported, there are certain rules. It can't be visible to the public. It has to be in a box. It has to be in a suitable vehicle. Dodge minivan is the most common vehicle used in the funeral industry, so it's not like it has to be a hearse. 
And a body has to be in a box. When a shrouded body is transported or when we pick up a body from the Campbell River Hospital and transport it, it needs to be in a box. And perhaps the family hasn't built a box yet. So then this transport box is very helpful. So that's something we can even do as a community ourselves is to send our own vehicle to Campbell River. Yes. So we don't actually have to pay some funeral home person in an unmarked van to deliver it all the way to Cortez. That's cool. Yeah, and there is a volunteer on Cortez, a lovely man who volunteers his vehicle and his time. And yeah, the family reimburses him for the ferry expenses. But but yes, we've been to the Campbell River Morgue several times. And and each time we help a family, we seem to learn more. It's It's not something that's done regularly. So going to the hospital morgue a funeral home generally goes to the hospital morgue to pick up a body so now we've gone to the hospital morgue to pick up a body i mean what we're picking up is a is a plastic bag so the body's wrapped in a plastic bag and this is part of our learning the first time we were involved in transporting a body the family just said, we'll tend to it ourselves. Thank you very much for, for helping with the transport. We didn't have a suitable vehicle. I asked the widow later, what was that like for her? And she said, oh, it was awful. He was, he was naked in the, in the bag. What, you like, mean like a grocery store chicken? They just like put a plastic bag over him? Well, he had a toe tag. <laughs> it's more like a crime scene from a x-files episode or something yeah and that's the other thing i think people don't know yeah (laughs) i think people don't know what the status quo is it's not very dignified respectful it's not respectful at all there was a body that and again this was a community member that taught emma and i and a few others so much and it was the mother who who taught us her son's body was transported from Victoria from the hospital and she had viewed him in the morgue so she knew what to expect she told us what to expect but even so it was very difficult he still had his needles in he had an oxygen mask on and yet they had taken his gown off and it was it was really awful. So they took off the gown, which they could launder and reuse, but they left the medical disposables in place. That's, I get it. It's efficiency oriented and stuff, mm-hmm, but it mm-hmm. seems like a rather ugly place to cut corners, you know, to be saving money like that. During our break, I was just talking a little bit about the experience of my mom's death and how impersonal the whole thing seemed like her body just got shuttled around. It was when it was reported she was picked up and taken, I guess, to some local facility and ended up in County Morgue for autopsy, which she lived near Los Angeles, so it was like 20 miles across the city. Mm. So when I arrived, the first thing I basically had to do was track her body down and find out where it was, like where had it gone. And then and it was like two hours drive across the city to try to get to the morgue before they closed to try to get a paper signed to get her released. And then she wanted to be cremated, so having to pick some cremation company, that was what she wanted. So, But the whole thing it became so industrial. Mm. It was like tracking a package through UPS. I mean, it was absolutely... 
and and having knowing that these are all very industrial scale things and knowing therefore because i know how scale works the the kind of things that you're describing that's that's what happens that and that people can't help it. They're dealing mm-hmm. with these deaths and these bodies mm-hmm. on an industrial scale. So they start thinking in an industrial mindset and treating them in an industrial way. And they can't help it. I mean, it's not that they're evil people. It's just that mm-hmm. if you're in an urban morgue and you got to process thousands of bodies every day, you're not going to give each body that respect and that the gravity of treatment that that you would want if it was your own kin, you know. So anyway, and you were saying... In- well, the system doesn't <clears throat> allow it. There isn't the spaciousness. And so I think the foundation of what we are wanting to offer is to allow that contact with with the natural process, with our emotions, with each other, and being in in relationship to the experience and being able to be present to the pain of it, the beauty of it. And as volunteers, we can show up to the practical pieces and help navigate that with compassion and allow for that space. And it would be, it gives you the opportunity, I suppose, to intervene. Like if we're doing our own transport, then our own people could intervene and say, remove those needles and that medical equipment before the family receives that body in their home you know yeah well we learned after that 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 that's not how we want a body to be brought to a home so the next time that we were involved in helping a family bring a body from Campbell River over to Cortez with the widow's permission we did cut open the plastic bag we did remove the plastic and remove the medical paraphernalia so that when the body came into the home it was presentable and that's a that's all of this is actually pretty exciting information, I think, because I didn't realize that your ability to humanize that process had reached so far that you could actually humanize the the collecting and the delivery of a person who unfortunately dies in hospital, which is a pretty awful place to die. So it sounds like you've already had some successes by whatever metric you have been able to help some families you've been able to facilitate a couple of natural burials do you feel like you're sort of taking root at this point like your 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 project is starting to put down some roots and and you're feeling like it's establishing itself a little bit i mean i hope that this this interview is going to help people to know Mm -hmm. more about what you're doing Mm -hmm. but you feel like you've gone sort of from theory to practice I think it's a pretty deep dive, pretty immediate deep dive from theory to practice as soon as you offer your support in a situation where someone is approaching death or someone has died expectedly or unexpectedly that you're immediately in the practice of it. <laughs> and and every situation is different and every situation requires creativity and resourcefulness and flexibility and I think we've shown up to every situation we've really met every situation in a beautiful way it sounds like you're you feel like you're getting 
what I want to say, getting the hang of it. Yeah. You're, uh, you know what I mean? People often have ideas for community projects or community services, and they're like, oh, this would be such a great idea. But there's a bit of a gap between having that great idea and actually having the community want your service, embrace your service, appreciate your service. And it sounds like you've kind of made it past that threshold. Yeah, I think, too, that it's going at the right speed because, because like Emma said, everyone is different. Everyone, we seem to, we seem to have some kind of an obstacle that we didn't have previously. And then we discuss it and find ways around it and feel like, okay, next time we can navigate that one in a, in a way that is better suited. And then the next one shows up and we learn something else again. So it feels like it's coming at just the right speed. <laughs> and we have a really strong volunteer base and we, we've done several training sessions. We certainly are able to help more people. I think what, what we really would like people to know is that planning goes a long ways. If you want to do things for your loved ones yourself, if you want to empower the people around you to help you at the time of death, it's really important to open up conversations, talk about it, figure out what it is that that you want, what's important to you, because then it's so much easier for people to help you. When a death is sudden and there's no planning around it, it's really challenging to know what the actual person wanted and so much easier just to let somebody else guide the whole process. What are your your dreams or your plans for for the future for the death care collective for the the handling of death and dying on Cortez like what's do you have visions do you yeah. have wishes? Yeah, I have wishes. I I would like to see what we're offering to the community, this community-led death care, to be... I would like it to be not the alternative. I would like it to be the way people do things. I think it's instinctual. I think it's natural. I think it's the way we as humans want to and need to to do it. Can I add? I think every time that we are involved in supporting someone through the dying experience or supporting a family after a death... We gain volunteers because whoever is involved is so moved and touched by the experience that they, they're like, okay, like sign me up. What, how can I help next time? Or like, I'm available and ready to step in. So it's a really beautiful growing group. Mm -hmm. So in fact, your vision really comes down to going back a century or so to when the village just kind of came together, and usually it was the women, actually, mm-hmm. just kind of came together and dealt with it. And that was just how it was. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know how we got so disconnected from that. Okay, maybe there's a lot of reasons, but I guess another vision I have is is that, you know, these islands like Cortez, Quadra, because they have strong communities and because the people are connected and because we are living in nature and that we can normalize this and then it can spread to other places that might that might be more challenging to get it rooted into so your hope is we could be like a pilot like a seed 
for showing that this can work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, well, so many people pass through here, visitors, that then that information spreads from here. I think that other people will see what's possible and want to do it themselves, and slowly this knowledge will will spread, and it won't be alternative, and you won't need a volunteer group because more of us will know what to do and how to do it. Yeah. And tune in tomorrow at 3 p.m. for part three of our five-part series on the Cortez Death Care Collective. Just a reminder... The views and opinions heard on this program are not endorsed by Cortez Community Radio, its board, its staff, its membership, or any granting agency, but are those of the writer, producer, and guests. And, as always, thanks for listening.
Yes, I'm me. Yes, I'm me. Yes, I'm me. 